are listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves into the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or game design. Each week, Roger is joined by Joe, Vince, and Marty. Welcome to For the Lord, this is Roger coming to you on Monday, the 9th of April. We've got a great show lined up. We might have a problem with one of our hosts who's having internet problems, so we're just going to front load all of his topics to start off with, just in case his internet goes down again. Yeah, then I can just fuck off. That's and then great. you can have a nap afterwards, although we're talking Spidey later. I know you're going to want to talk about that. <laughs> so, all right, go. You know all your talking points, so you take it from here. All right, let's start off with the game that just won't die. That is Final Fantasy XV. Square actually had a pretty big presence at PAX East this past weekend, uh, celebrating Nier Automata's one-year anniversary with a great interview, or not even interview, panel with Yoko Taro. Uh, Lots of fun stuff, some stuff talking about Tomb Raider and whatnot. But the big thing for them this year, as it's been for seems like forever now is of course final fantasy 15 uh they announced a lot of stuff coming for the game uh that's actually going to have a crossover with the uh which tomb raider game whatever uh, <laughs> shadow of the tomb raider i think it is uh they're doing a crossover event much like they had the assassin's creed origins crossover uh last year it was uh the online multiplayer component of the game uh the final fantasy 15 comrades is actually getting huge updates as well and being spun off into its own standalone game. It's going to be getting full mod support and a level editor, and they're actually taking the character creation element from the multiplayer game and adding it into the main campaign. So I guess you can customize the actual main characters of the game in some way. All of them or just the one you play? I, who knows? <laughs> They said it's going to start rolling out uh, later this year. Uh, Summer is going to be the first big update, and then another one coming up in the winter. And then in the far-off future of the year 2019, we are getting a second season of character-specific DLC for the original game. Four more episodes, the first one focusing on Arden, the main villain of the game, expanding a bit more on his backstory and finding out just why he hates Noctis so much. A second story of Aranea Highwind, one of the most interesting characters from the game that got the least amount of screen time that actually really upset me. I really liked her. Not only the fact that she was a badass dragoon, but she had an attitude about her that she just seemed very vibrant and different from the rest of the characters. So she's going to be getting a side story of her own about her departure from the Empire after everything goes to shit. And then two more of the star-crossed lovers, Lady Lunafreya and Noctis. Not sure what they're doing with the Luna one. I don't know where it's taking place in the timeline, but again, it's further expanding upon another character that did not really get as much as she deserved in the game. Imagine that. None of the female characters got very much character development. And finally, Noctis, the main character of the game, is getting another chapter of his own. I think it's taking place before the actual ending of the game. Again, not entirely sure. They're being very vague with a lot of this stuff because, of course, barely started working on it. But they also said this is going to contain an alternate ending for the game as well. As I've made no, uh, as I've said many times over, God, how long has this game been out now? Almost two years. I, it, it, you're, they're continuing to tack story content on to a bad foundation. Like there's a, there was a lot of interesting stuff there that just didn't work. And I I don't know if continuing to build on that is going to be good, but what do I care? Because I haven't looked at it since I finished it. If the fans are into it, uh, sure, have fun. What is the reception at this stage from the the, the fan community for the game? I honestly don't know because I'm not very tapped into the fan community. Like, I... I know a lot of people are excited to see like the characters, like like I said, like Irenea and Luna, like people are actually very interested in seeing more of their stories, but the general consensus is still the main story of the game is friggin' terrible and doesn't make any sense. So it, it's, it's kind of a case by case basis. I think is how a lot of people are handling it. Right. 
Next up, we have a game that just came out last week, I believe it was, called Minute, spelled M-I-N-I-T. Very interesting concept with this game. You play, you know, standard link type, you know, nobody hero. Finds a magical sword along the beach. And as soon as he picks it up, he realizes it's a cursed weapon because he forgot to cast the identify spell on it first. And with the great power of the sword comes the curse that he dies in 60 seconds. And that's the entire core concept of the game. You have 60 seconds to do stuff in the game before you die and respawn back at home and have to start all over again. <laughs> yeah, it's actually really cool. I've been watching yeah. a lot of people, I've been watching a lot of people do uh, playthroughs and let's plays of it. It's an interesting thing because it, it's, it's more robust than that description really makes it sound. Oh, ab like, absolutely. It, like uh, the world is stat. Well, I shouldn't say static, but the world you make impacts on the world as you play through, which is really important. Mm -hmm. I, like, for example, one of the early quests that uh, they gave examples to is uh, one of the local townsmen, I think he was like a bartender or something, wants some crabs killed on the beach. Well, in the 60 seconds, you don't have enough time to talk to the bartender, kill the crabs, and then go back to the bartender. Just the way the game is designed, like they know they're working with these time constraints and they're playing with that. So you spend one day talking to the bartender, learning that he wants the crabs killed. The next day, you go kill the crabs, which... In and of itself, it's not exactly an easy feat. Like you still have to like play efficiently. They're mm -hmm. they're spread out just enough that if you if you fuck around and waste too much time, you're not going to kill all of them in sixty seconds. And then the third day, returning to the bartender to complete your quest. And that's what the gameplay loop is built around: is you're not going to accomplish anything in any one run. It's a matter of getting items you need, getting information you need. And it, like I'm enjoying seeing the stuff that they're doing. That's just playing with this. Like I said, there's one old man who talks very, very slowly. slowly. So in order to get his quest text, you have to wake up, haul ass over to him, so that you have enough time to finish for him to finish his story before you die from listening to him, or stuff like you know you you can't figure out how to get through this this one area. But if you just stay there long enough, eventually right before you die, an NPC will pop up and like you'll just overhear a bit of information that you can then use on a later run. It's fascinating. Like I love seeing unique gameplay hooks. That's not just anybody could have made a game where like, yeah, you die every 60 seconds, have fun. But seeing the ways that they're really messing with that formula and utilizing it to enhance this very simple and streamlined gameplay experience is an absolute joy. Yeah, it sounds awesome. I mean, it's it's also what uh, very similar. Well, I shouldn't say very similar, but it's a core concept that we're we're not totally unfamiliar with. Like, what was it? Half minute hero, I think it was, was very similar in that mm -hmm. something like that, where you had like you know, again that a certain amount of time. Uh, it's it's really really nifty, and the art style is really cool as well too. Just to to kind of point that out because it's not over ambitious. It's not cel shaded. It's black and white like game and watch style almost uh it's really really cool uh, and it's a cheap game too like it's not very expensive so if it sounds like something you're interested in like you can pick it up for ten dollars american that's that's pretty cheap mm -hmm. which is good because you're not gonna be spending too much time with it <laughs> a lot of estimates have a primary run through the game at around an hour and a half to two hours mm-hmm which when you think about it, that's 90 to 120 lives. <laughs> but uh, that's just like, you know, a main run through the story. There's alternate modes beyond that. There's all kinds of side quests you can do. There's also stuff. a ton of hidden bosses and stuff. Yeah, it, it's, it's really interesting. And I, I actually look forward to picking it up at some point soon. And then the final game I had to talk about is one coming out later this year to PC and PS4 called Heaven's Vault. In this game, you play an archaeologist, a woman by the name of Aaliyah Elasra, and her awesome sassy robot, as they explore this alien civilization spread across multiple worlds and moons in a full 3D environment, open world, translation game. This is, as they said, a really interesting reproduction of what it means to be an archaeologist. It's not like you would see in a lot of traditional video games of just, oh, you go dig up shit and you figure it out. It's entirely built around this alien language that they actually did design a language for this game. It's uh, very pictograph-based. 
and just figuring out the language to unlock the story and like figure out puzzles and what have you. It's really interesting because there's no clues, really. It's just a matter of like, when she comes across an inscription she's never seen before, the game gives you a few options of, you know, what she thinks it could possibly be. You pick one option and continue down that avenue of investigation until you realize you're either right or completely wrong. But during that time, you've gained additional context, be it from the environment, just conversations between uh, Aaliyah and what's the name of the robot? Six. To help you figure out these puzzles, like it's it's very fascinating. It's going to be a very mellow game. You have no combat. It's just one of those cool ideas that like, I know I'm going to sit down and just play it and not want to stop until I've figured everything out. Yeah, it does sound very, very interesting. Something, again, like you were saying, you could just kind of sit down and it's not, and I like those periodically too. That's why I've been liking the um, Opus Magnum game that I've been playing because it's mm -hmm. very relaxing. You're not worried about any kind of combat. You're not worried about whatever. You can easily pause it and just play it in between, for me, calls or whatever kind of thing. So, yeah, this sounds fantastic. Just uh, all about, like, discovering knowledge, figuring things out, and through that gameplay mechanism actually learning things about the civilization and one of the cool anecdotes uh, from this article i found on the verge is after the interview uh, he got the designer's business card and the business card was written in the alien glyphs <laughs> and just to give an idea of like how this alien language they developed works is there's no word in this language for writer they had to use the alien language to create the phrase a person who speaks without speaking so nice. just just kind of think about that way of thinking and how interesting it's going to be to translate haha, into an actual gameplay experience of having to figure out that puzzle. Who's a person who speaks without speaking? That's that's just cool as hell. Did they say that they were that they hired somebody, a linguistics expert, to do that for them, or they did it themselves? I I think they said they did a lot of it internally. I don't remember every single bit of this uh, article I read, but I, I know they said that they spent a lot of time working on it. Uh, I don't think they actually went out and got an actual linguist to to do the bulk of the work. Okay. Okay. But I could be mistaken about that. Awesome. Okay, let's move on. You mentioned PAX there, and we got some different games that were announced, including some interesting indies for, well, I thought so at least. I don't know. What about what did you think, Joe? Well, PAX is always a time where indies tend to shine, and that's yeah. always sort of been the case, right? And it's perfect it's the perfect way to sort of bring attention to these. Uh, and there are some really interesting ones or intriguing ones in this list uh, that, that you so graciously uh, pointed me at uh, blazing Chrome, uh, which is a more like a, a Contra style game, a very like 16 bit in the art style, uh, which looks pretty cool. looks like it's got a, a co-op mode um, and it's just very stereotypical running gun. Uh, so your metal slugs, your 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 contra feel to it. Um, I like the idea that 16-bit is getting a little more of a push lately instead of just 8-bit. Where don't get me wrong, I like 8-bit, but there's something just, I guess, underutilized about 16-bit that some games are starting to come back to, uh, and there's just something genuinely beautiful when it's done right. Um, one, the next game that I thought was really interesting, at least to me, was Brave Earth Prologue. I'm a huge fan of Castlevania games, and this is done in the style of Castlevania 3, uh, except, you know, obviously it has more color because it's not actually running on an NES, uh, but it has three playable characters with different paths, uh, branching stories that intersect, uh, in which allows it to have a very uh, unique replayability that a lot of games don't have because of that, and all of the characters do intersect in their stories at different points, uh, so it's it's kind of interesting. I was really keen on that. I don't know about you guys. I and actually didn't see that. Pennsylvania. <laughs> Another one, the Church in the Darkness was a little weird for me taking a look at it. Uh, it's done. It's an isometric, uh, not really survival, but kind of like a horror style game where you play a you know, I think what are you are sheriff. Uh, trying to infiltrate a cult in the 70s in South America. Uh, 
basically trying to find out what happened to your nephew. It's very, very cliche. I haven't really seen enough about it to make a judgment on it. Um, but like, it just, it seems really generic in the presentation that they've given so far. The, the presentation, I will give you that. Yeah. Although I see it more as a kind of a simplistic style, a la firewatch kind of thing, not nearly as stylish, but you know what I mean? But the concept actually interested me because it kind of felt like it might have some roguelike elements where you don't know what this cult is going to all be about and it's going to change as well. So going out and doing things, it's going to be different based on whether or not this is a very um, more peaceful cult or if there is violence and they were giving different examples of stuff. And so like, I actually really thought this might be interesting. Not like over-the-top must-own, but this is actually on my radar. I, I would like to know more about it, like you said, just to, to see because the concept is unique enough. Solid. Yeah, it's unique enough that I, I would really like to see what they do with it then. Yeah, it, it definitely weighs like the consequences of actions and interactions, exactly. which I, I do enjoy. Uh, but again, if it's not done in a... And this is where like I hate to be that guy that says... If it's not pretty, I don't want to play it. But if it's so generic, like it's just assets that are just bought from like, you know, the Unity store, then it, it makes it more difficult for me to to justify getting into it. I hope that they polish that up and I hope that they have some uniqueness or hope that we've only seen like maybe a tiny little bit about it and that it gets weirder and cooler and more interesting as far as like its presentation goes as the stories progress. Yeah. Here's hoping. Uh, another one, next one is Dragon Marked for Death, which is nothing new. We actually talked about this before. Um, it is a going to be a Switch exclusive game that is a started out as a 3DS game and is now being ported over. It's by the same people that are doing Bloodstained uh, that did the Mega Man Zero series. Uh, it is also in that 16-bit art style, which I'm really digging, uh, and it's a brawler. Uh, so we'll see how that actually you know translates to the Switch. I'm sure it's going to be fine, uh, especially if with the co-op play, as long as it allows online co-op, it should be, it could be a really, really fun game possibly to jump in with you guys. And Marty, if you ever get to switch. <laughs> That's not, I mean, I don't have one either. Let's be fair. You're more likely to get one than Marty is though. That's because uh, especially I didn't blow right all of my money on comic books. <laughs> hey, listen, and that Prince. Also because I, I know book. damn well that I could, I could find the perfect game to just tweet to Alicia and I could just hear her go, we're getting a Switch! I guarantee I could find that one game that'll let that happen. Dude, I was thinking saying. the exact same fucking thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, next game on basically, the Vince, oh. say the word, we'll get you a Switch. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you'll get me a Switch, then... <laughs> you know what I mean. We'll get you one. We're not paying for it, but we'll get you one. I mean, that that's kind of the same thing. Like... Yeah. Well, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Uh, next on the list was Fatal Velocity, which not really my type of game, but it seemed very similar to uh, that one game that you liked, Roger, on PlayStation. Gravity something? Can't I remember. I think I know what you want you mean. Gravity I, Rush. Yeah. I it, don't think it's this. That's not what I see when I look at this myself. It's. It seems like. Oh, I mean, I don't know. I, I. But it's just like my first impression of it is like this weird bastard child between that and Mirror's Edge, almost. So, see what I, I saw from this was more. Um, there's a, a VR game where they're working on this too, and I'm. I'm fairly certain it's not this one. Clearly, uh, but they're doing that too with the the web slinging, essentially, kind of thing, <laughs> and so that's that's what I get from this. And that's fair. And we'll see what happens as, as more yeah. information of it comes, you know, comes out. We'll see if it, it more information might entice me. Who knows? One I was actually kind of excited for, uh, and I didn't know it existed until I read about it, was Fight Night. Uh, and that's Night with a K. And it's a dungeon crawler where you get a sword or a spell and you just set off in your way to go and uh, old school style dungeon crawl in the like NES style almost of first-person exploration, uh, where it's dice rolls and character stats. Um, except you break your sword really, really early into the, the adventure. And so what are you supposed to do? Well, punch things, of course. 
And so it's a first-person shooter, Mike Tyson's Punch-Out style combat, where there's dodging and parrying and punching, and you literally interact with everything by punching. You want to advance dialogue? Punch. Want to open that door? Punch. (laughs) There's a switch? Punch that switch. Like, it's so ludicrous that I'm on board. That sounds amazing. Like my inner murder hobo is really, really <laughs> but I mean, it's in the visual style is very much like the, uh, uh, God, why can't I think of the name now? Shit. The one where you're not mad, not mad, uh, mansion of madness. It was the other one. It was the puzzle game where you wind up, you start going into the mansion and then it's like this whole convoluted, like Maniac adventure, mansion? not maniac mansion. Um, Deathgate. Death? Uh, I got nothing then. Uh, but it, it just it reminds me of that, except way more combat focused, and I'm really cool about that. So uh, then there's Shapes and Beats, or just Shapes and Beats, which is uh, going to be another game that's going to be coming to Switch, which is a rhythm action game, uh, which is also a multiplayer where music will kill you. And up to four players take control of shapes over a black screen, and you have to avoid the different pink energy uh things that are generated by the music that are playing uh and basically not get hit that could actually be a lot of fun uh especially with the switch as like a take-along game and i'm kind of okay with that see this is where i go back to what you were saying about the other game saying if it's not going to look pretty then i'm probably not going to want to play it i look at this and i think the concept is actually really cool and a little unique. It might be interesting, especially for a rhythm game on the Switch too. But then you look at it and go, "Fuck! Look at yeah, it! Yeah, it's shapes. There's nothing to it." And it's like, God, they had the potential there. That had they gone a little bit further, they could have made something that looks clearly better than this and have that solid foundation. That sounds like it might be cool. Yeah, but and, again, that's me. And we'll see. We'll see what happens. Like this could also be just very early uh, stages because I know there are some games that. Uh, audio surf the first game started like that where everything was really really simple and then things got really crazy the better you got at the game so it's also one of those things where we're seeing early stages or we're seeing early difficulty levels maybe it gets better later they also have time they also have time that they could improve the graphics or do something wild or crazy with it too now a game that does look pretty at least to me especially with its lighting effects is mother gunship and we've talked about this a little bit before um, it's by the same person, person singular, that developed Tower of Guns, uh, Joe Mirabella. Uh, and it's the same idea of Tower of Guns, just with a lot more polish and new mechanics. Uh, and it's all about guns and gameplay and getting through rooms. Uh, it's it's just simplistic, clear the room, get the hell out of here kind of gameplay, but it looks like it's going to be really tight. And if it's anything close to what tower of guns was this is going to be an instant classic at least as far as i'm concerned sure shit looks good oh yeah it does if it's got enough incentive to keep you going then yeah it'll be a lot of fun and i i I would give it a shot for sure yeah one that i'm not too keen on which is weird for me because i generally like this style of game is scum uh, it's from Devolver Digital, and it's a survival game to the nth degree. Now, the core concept here is okay. Uh, it's almost like PUBG-style game where your players are thrown onto an island and have to fight for survival, but done with a game show twist, kind of like Darwin, uh, where you know, you're know you doing the whole manhunt thing. There are cameras everywhere capturing your moves. But in order to do the best, you literally have to check everything about your survival this means you can go down to your caloric intake of your character uh, and chart it out with graphs and charts literally charts and graphs that you can open up in the game to determine what the best use of your resources is what the best caloric intake is for the actions that you've taken or are about to take like i like the core concept but that's too much minutia even for me and i used to play fucking eve I get the impression, though, from what I've read, that, again, that's in the game, but certainly you don't have to dive that deep. And I think that what I think will happen is that, again, it's the everyone drops down to the base common denominator. And I don't think that the majority of the people who play the game will dive that deep. So I think Mm. it'll kind of 
fall to a much more relaxed level, much more relaxed level of murdering, you know, where you're not counting calories. You're just murdering is I think it'll devolve to that. I, I, I will respectfully disagree just because of really? what I've experienced in battle Royale and Darwin. There are people, this particular genre of game attracts a very specific type of people. And it's, there it's hyper competitive it's even even for a casual game like fortnite like i love fortnite i love fortnite battle royale i won't play it solo i only play in squads because i need to be carried by somebody who's like that <laughs> level of into it with like into it my win my only win coming in first place in that game is because i was with somebody who is so fucking on point in that game and has devoted tons of hours to it that they were like okay we're gonna go here we're gonna do this this is what we're gonna do okay look out for this, this is where they're like that's how deep down they are. And every other time that I've encountered random players, they are so into it. It is, it is just scary. And I have a feeling that this is going to be one of those games that attracts those players as well, especially because the better you are at resource management and the better you are at personal management, the better you will do in the game. It is a true test of your skill versus other players. And it's going to be hyper competitive in that regard, or at least I, I suspect it will just like the other ones. I hope I'm wrong. I would love for you to be right because these types of games are fun uh, and I'd like them to be a little more accessible, but I, I, I just had that fear in the back of my head. And I'm probably not wrong. We'll uh, see. I've I, been wrong. Yeah. I've been wrong before. Uh, then we have sky noon, uh, which is probably going to fall more into the category of what you have or, or said uh, it's like a smash brothers overwatch type game where it's a first-person competitive multiplayer shooter uh, with sumo rules and smash sensibilities. So basically, you need to ring out the opponents. Uh, and you get grapple hooks and weird steampunk guns that fire things in an old Westie setting. I don't know what it is about the Super Smash Bros. mechanic, but I abhor it. I hate it. I hate this knock them over the edge. They fly back up and you're back and forth and back and forth over the edge. I fucking hate it. I don't know. I know a lot of people love it. Tristan adores it. I, for me though, like as soon as I read that, I was like, oh fuck, it looked good. I, I, I would have liked to have tried this, but no, I, I can't, I hate it. Huh. Well, that's good to know. I don't know. We'll see. I, I might check it out. It's, it's not top on my list. Uh, Whereas, I like the style. I like. I do like the style. I like the art style actually quite a bit, and the old west setting and all that would be a lot of fun. So I would like. I, I might try it, it but but it, it's again. I, I anyways. Oh no! It, it's I, I totally get it, and I I will probably check it out, but it's not the top of my radar. One that is high on my list though is Swords of Ditto. Yes, it's. A Link to the Past style game with roguelite elements, and it's from a developer that has worked closely with Nintendo on on previous games, uh, and they have this very core feature or this core thought where make a game as good as Nintendo did, like in that vein, and it's got such a cool concept. So, like Zelda, it, it's a legendary hero rises every so many years to fight this great evil, except. Well, it's not really the hero that does it in this case. It's a legendary sword, and it makes adventurers heroes for five days every 100 years. And in that five days, the hero has to try to get as powerful as possible to take on the ancient demon on this island. And then you, whether you succeed or whatever, whether you fail, you do it again in another 100 years. When you win, it's a stronger, happier island for the next run through. If you lose, the island gets worse. Uh, and I think that's a really Dude. fucking cool concept. <laughs> this is fucking. Oh yeah, I've been talking a lot, so I'll shut up. I don't know if you other two have something to say about this. I fucking love it. Well, so I'm looking at it right now, and there's a rabbit holding a, a record that they are going to fling at something. So that and a magic flying school bus in the background. I think I'm I'm interested in this game very much. My only gripe is it's not coming out on the Switch. I agree on that too. 
I <laughs> definitely fucking agree on that. Like, Jesus, what is wrong with you people? Come on. No, I really like the concept behind this. And, and it's not the first time we've seen that with the Generations thing, but it's one of those things where I don't think we've seen it that often where it's really, really well done either. So it'd be cool to see here what their take is because this is pretty fucking cool. I, I really, really dig it a lot. And the art style is fantastic. Yeah, like, it's I love it. They, they say they say that cartoon networkish style, and yes. I find that very accurate. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, oh absolutely. Um, and then the last one on that list that from from PAX was Trailblazers, uh, which is not necessarily a me game, but it's a racing game, and it's coming out on the Switch among the other systems. And I'm wondering if this is something you might like, Roger. Well, I'll let you know as soon as I Google that. Trailblazers? <laughs> <laughs> so basically, it's if you take Wipeout, uh, which is the old racing game with Splatoon, combine the two, and turn it into a competitive and co-op racing game. Uh, so basically, it's player against player, multiplayer races, uh, for the traditional racing uh, objective of getting to the end of the track in first place. But the result screens uh, can vary based on what Holy you Holy fuck, do. this is gorgeous! Yep, there you go. <laughs> as far as covering the track up, like you have to like oh, dude, the road in as you go. That is fucking awesome. Oh, dude, it, it adds an extra strategy of maybe finishing first isn't necessarily the best if you can finish second and wipe out the first player's entire trail. Oh, look at that! <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> oh my god. This is fucking awesome, though. Seriously, like, yeah. Oh, they're getting the bonuses if they go on their own colors again, dude. I'm buying this. The aesthetic, the aesthetics, the aesthetic screams Roger. The gameplay screams Roger. You know what this looks like? Switch. H looks What's like that? a Borderlands almost. Yeah, well, it's it's very cel shaded, which which fits, and I think it's I think it's a good use of of that type of art style. It's not just the that it's cel shaded. Like if you watch the trailer again, now that I've mentioned that. Look for it, and you'll see what I mean. There's shots where you would swear this was like a a, a part of Pandera there that you can go and, and and do some shit on. Like it's it looks very much like it. This is fucking awesome. Holy shit! Good find, Joe. Good find. <laughs> All right. Okay, you can talk about a fighting game if you want. <laughs> no, that's that's pretty much it. <laughs> uh, actually, Joe, I have a question for you. I figured. Sure. This would have been on your radar. I saw somebody tweeting something about Shuffle Knights, a new Shuffle Knight, a new expansion or whatever yeah, they've, they've been, been doing. They've been working on this for a while. It's actually, we talked about it previously. Ah, all right. Um, it's, all, um, all I saw was Shovel Knight and cards, and I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, so that's the theme behind the, uh, I think it's Royal Knight is the name, the guy in the gold armor, basically. Um, the guy that usurps the king and takes over that kingdom in the original game. It's the story of how he goes and finds uh, the Enchantress and, and everything. And that's his shtick. It's like the King of Hearts type thing. So everything is card based or dash based or he. he I've said this and people look at me funny. He plays like fucking Wario. And I kind of I'm kind of OK with that. And that should be coming out relatively soon. Um, anybody who already owns the game will just have it. Like it's just they've just been yacht club games is just being like here you go have it and i'm i'm all about this which yay um but it's just a cool way to re-experience the levels and they're adding some new mechanics with uh um some of the the room hazards but also enemies that you kind of have to manipulate by dashing into them and controlling how they actually like form platforms for you it's really cool and i've been watching a lot of the live streams that they've been doing as far as um the art style and actually showing level development and them using the editing tools and stuff like that. And I think it's really cool because they're continuing on this thing of you're going to get a story for every single one of the nights. Yes, please. I will throw more money at you if I need to. I've already bought this game five times. I'll keep buying it. So all right. that's all I got. I'm still looking at trailblazers. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it. It only says coming soon. It doesn't say when. And they say this year. Fuck. So, Dude. They say they originally said spring, um, but I think it's going to get pushed back probably to a summer release, which wouldn't be a terrible idea for them with this type of game. Do it when kids aren't in school. 
So you can play as a frog. <laughs> you can play as a frog. Uh, okay, I love it. Okay. <laughs> Okay, before we dive into Spider-Man, and I assure you, it will be a dive. Marty, vampire, what do you think? Yes. Okay, so uh, for those who don't know, in the late 90s, early aughts, I interned at a company that made a vampire game. It was a pen and paper RPG, and I was in the sales department. I have played more than my fair share of vampire games. Uh, This vampire, spelled with a Y, is set in 1918 London during the Spanish flu towards the end of World War I, and you wake up as a limey uh, who has been turned into a vampire. And the core mechanic is uh, figuring out the best way to explore whether or not you uh, feed on the patients that you have in your clinic or if you resist the urge and follow the Hippocratic Oath, which is very much like a humanity path for those of us who are old enough to remember vampire world of darkness stuff. Um, the game looks pretty. Uh, I, I got to be blunt. I am not a huge fan of these types of vampire games. I think it's an interesting concept to explore of this, of this person's relative humanity and vampirism as they explore a variety of um, this world's idea of vampires. There's like, looks like there's three major or four major families from Nosferatu like sewer dwelling, ugly vampires to werewolf like vampires to aristocratic vampires and then vampire hunters. Uh, The game is coming out soon. It is on all major platforms. Uh, But for me, uh, what I am interested in is like, if you just wanted to be, a throat tearing out horrible monster kind of vampire. It looks like you can go down that path if you want to, um, which is more interesting for me uh, because I'm kind of tired of the angsty vampire stuff. I haven't, the nineties were bad for me on that regard. And I haven't yet to get over the whole angst ridden vampire shtick. Thanks Lestat for all that. See, the only thing that I would say to that, and I know the, the, the guys will agree with me on this is because of who's making this. Mm-hmm. That's the only reason why yes. we are as invested in this game oh, yeah. already is because of that pedigree. And we're like, okay, we saw what you can do here. What can you do with vampires? Because we've seen a lot of, like you just pointed out, a lot of shit with vampire games and a lot of cliches and tropes and whatnot. So now it's like, okay, well, you've kind of earned a lot of our trust. Don't not. So what are you going to do with this? Yeah, they, so, Don't Not's got a pretty good pedigree of of game development. Like that's pretty cool. It's just, I you know, I as a child, as a teenager of the '90s, my idea of vampires is pretty much stuck in that mode. I'm willing to give it a shot and look at it, uh, especially since it's on everything. Uh, but you know, like it feels to me like Life is Strange would be a better role run for me than the vampire game and it might be it just because they are good at what they did in life is strange doesn't mean that um this is going to be any good or up your alley necessarily especially if you don't like that genre so i mean that's just the way it is i I know that we're definitely going to be talking about it because we're going to be getting it and that goes without saying is and it's going to be well, hopefully better than our the council run, <laughs> but it oh will be God. that episodic thing where we are talking about our our, our playthroughs on this. Because, and, and we may be wrong, but I, I think I, it's fair to say we're all expecting that level of not necessarily originality so much as engaging gameplay that is consequential in terms of the the decisions that we make. So if they can pull that all off, I'm willing to forgive them the fact that it's a vampire game. And again, that's just me. You you may feel differently. I mean, I'm very interested in the 1918 vampire take. That's yeah. that for me is kind of interesting and the World War 1 Spanish flu thing is also very interesting. Yeah. It's just vampires are something that I have a difficult time getting over. I One of the things I was reading, um, I think it was a Verge article about it, um, where you can develop more of the werewolf-style vampire things. Like, now, that that appeals to me more than the vampire itself. But, you know, we'll see. Exactly, exactly. Okay, so 
Unless you two have uh, something to add to that conversation, we can move on to Spider-Man. Yeah, but Spider-Man. Spider-Man, of course. Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah, Spider-Man. <laughs> so the game, has it's been announced. It's coming out on the 7th of September, which is right around the fucking corner. And for those of us who own PS PlayStations, <laughs> we are definitely buying this motherfucker because holy shit, does it ever look good? Now, they've actually released some more information recently with some videos and whatnot, and Game Informer had a fantastic run-through talking about their playthroughs of the game. We got a lot of information about movement in the game, which it may seem strange for a For the Lore episode to be talking about movement in games, but you know what? For a game like this, where the movement of the character is integral, it fits. Joe, you're dying to say something. Go ahead. I was just going to say, movement is so integral to the character that it is part of that story of the character in this particular case. So the fact that they put so much care into it and that we're talking about it isn't so far-fetched because it's so core to that character. Exactly. And and personally, I'm fucking giddy. Oh, no kidding. Do you have something to say then as you... (laughs) because you can go for it go run with it all i'll fill in the gaps (laughs) it's the little things it's the little things talking about like how the (laughs) the flow and the acrobatics are are key and core to it and there has to be sort of like this free feeling to it but also like there's a rhythm underneath it where like yes you can zip line into a building run up that side of the building time your your reaction just right to slingshot off the building maintaining your momentum and then like you know zip down this construction pipe that's being you know raised up and and everything and it's it's so very it's the pages of the comic coming to life in a way that the movies have never done uh and in the ways that the animated shows have only like kind of sort of touched on which is really important to me because this is something where way back in the day when we first got the first set of Spider-Man movies and then we got those games, the second Spider-Man game for the second movie uh, with Tobey Maguire was actually a lot of fun, not because the game itself was good, but because the mechanics of the movement were great. And at that time, I spent more time just web slinging around the fucking city than doing anything else. And this is already shaping up. Like I've watched this video multiple times, a lot of times with the audio off because I just want to see how I feel about how the motion looks to me. And it just sucks me in. And it's like, Oh, can I slingshot out of this? I'm looking, Oh, can I, can I hit that from, you know, over there or, you know, Oh, can I run over the side of this? Oh, Oh, there's something flying in the air there. Can I bank off of that? Like you start thinking about all these different things that you can do and it just excites me in that re- it's something that I haven't felt in a Spider-Man game in a very, very long time. Dude, when he went through the pipe, mm-hmm. that was the moment I went, oh, damn. <laughs> like, everything else was fucking incredible and amazing. And and again, it's like you said with the, the Spider-Man 2. Ironically, when I was talking to my son about it this earlier, uh, I was saying, yeah, we're going to be talking about it and this and that. And I was saying, I'd watch the videos about this and how amazing it looks. And he was saying, yeah, I remember playing Spider-Man 2 and the web slinging was really good. I was going, from what I understand, based on what I've read now and seen and, and, and heard, this is miles ahead. And blown the fuck away. Like, it's on believable how cool it looks and the best analogy to show just how cool it is is that um, they were talking about it in the the podcast I don't know if you you all had a chance to listen I listened to the part that was just for for Spider-Man but they were talking about how you know a lot of people for them their stress relief is going out for a run well he his and we know this from the comics his stress relief is periodically just going and swinging around town. If the mechanics are as fluid as what we saw them to be in the videos, I literally can see myself doing that periodically. Just going in to swing around New York. Maybe stop a crime or two here and there, but just fucking swing around and have fun. Like, it was that incredible looking. And so- it's- Oh, go ahead, say, it's, it, and it's something I just want to say. It's it's going to sound really, really cheesy, 
But this is one of the things that I always cared about for Spider-Man, especially in the games, because as a kid growing up, Spider-Man was sort of, I don't want to say like just my morality compass. That's how I learned how to read. But it was because I was the short kid from the west side of Buffalo where, you know, I was sort of stuck where I am. The idea of being Spider-Man at that age or, or having that ability to just, you know, flap. And it was like freedom of movement. Just that, that idea of freedom is so important to me that I like if they do this right, I will f- just throw fucking gobs of money at them just for that, just capturing that feeling. So I have been an active Spider-Man reader uh, for like f- 10 years or so. I typically Bendis' Ultimate Spider-Man uh, and then uh, really at the Superior Spider-Man run that Dan Slot's running. Oh, uh, that for, was awesome. Now, for those of you who are all interested in the video game aspect, um, I'll get to that in a second. Dan Slot's done a an amazing run in Spider-Man. His run is just about to end and Sony and Marvel have worked hand in hand specifically talking to Dan Slott about this game uh, to, I mean, Spider-Man is like top tier of my favorite characters of all time. He's no daredevil, of course, but <laughs> I, all right, my Marty, Marvel, it was nice having you on the podcast. Uh, write you a very nice letter in the mail. Um, but that blasphemy has no place here. Go fuck yourself, please. Oh my God. Well, okay. Well, I appreciate the hate because y'all, that's all you got. Um, but let me get back. I have wanted a Marvel character game like this uh, since I saw the first okay, Batman let me, game. Uh, hold on. Let me what? ask you something. Sure. Um, you'll notice that we've had some spectacular Batman games. Yep. Uh, you're not a fan of them, though. We've I also gotten some really recently, amazing um, Spider-Man games too, and this one looks like it's shaping up too. I I honestly don't recall an amazing Daredevil game. Oh no! Why do you think that is? Yeah, <laughs> that's a good. Is point. it perhaps because point. the character sucks and is horrible, or no. something else? No, because there have been some shitty Spider-Man games. There have been some not so great Batman games. Uh, there's been but awful they still existed. But games. Yes, exactly. This what he said. True. What he said. What he said. <laughs> listen, listen, listen. Daredevil has had exactly one one game, and it was for the Game Boy Advance with Ben Affleck on the cover. Yeah, yeah. It was so bad that they bad never year. they never tried again. There may have been bad yeah. Spider-Man games, but at least they tried. <laughs> they tried more. Because <laughs> wait, listen. I can defend Daredevil, but I don't want to spend this time talking to your listeners about this. Wait, wait, wait our listeners, motherfucker, you better stop that, or you will be fired. Joe fired me. Am I? Joe's not, not the boss of you. All right, fair enough. Uh, Joe, that is painful. Just, listeners don't know that Joe put in our Discord chat the Daredevil Ben Affleck movie, which the last time I got blackout drunk was for the ACC Raz uh, cast of that movie because it's so bad. Um, I digress. Spider-Man's best. Yes, you do digress, friend, motherfucker. Human, the Human Torch. Uh, you know, I before I get a Switch, I will be getting a PS4 Pro. Pro ps4 to play this game because i want to play a marvel game uh like an arkham style game so dude get the pro uh, i would figure i would yeah yeah at this point i that's what i'm leaning towards like i initially it was like no don't but from what we've been seeing from developers and the fact that they are really pushing the pro versions it's clear that they will be coding for the pro primarily so spend a little bit extra get the pro for sure so, uh, what's the VR situation with the Spider-Man game? I don't know. Is there? I think he. You mentioned something about it earlier, and I think that's what he's asking. I, oh no, no, that's is, another game that's not Spider-Man. If that's what you're referring to, is that what you mean? No, I'm just seeing a whole bunch of like doing some quick, you know, Google research about yeah this uh, the web sling in particular. Yeah, yeah. So I wouldn't uh, be surprised it would fit. And again, if they that, use the same kind of technology as was used in the other game that does 
It, it's essentially web slinging. They don't call it that, although they actually did when in the dev uh, interview where they were talking about it. But it's the same thing. So I can see it working really well and actually not making you nauseous because you've got that frame of reference still of swinging and seeing your hand connected to essentially a rope kind of thing. So it doesn't make you nauseous. Listen, I'm not the biggest fan of VR. I really am not. In fact, I've made it a point to avoid VR for a lot of the themes that are coming out. But if there is a Spider-Man web-slinging VR fucking game, they are getting my fucking money instantly. Dude, can you imagine, like, and it won't happen for a while, but looking at the footage that we saw of what Insomniac did with New York and what it's like to web sling and the fidelity with which they recreated New York. Can you fucking imagine web slinging? They wouldn't need to add anything else. Nope. <laughs> like fuck the crimes and shit on the ground. I'm never going on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Criminals of New York. If you want to get away with something, stay at street level. <laughs> no kidding. Man, that was awesome. One thing I really loved from what we're seeing about this game is like they've nailed the web slinging. The combat looks fun and fluid the way a Spider-Man game should. But the other important aspect of Peter Parker is him being a scientist and how they're giving him all these fancy little Spidey gadgets he can use in combat, Mm -hmm. which is great to see, as well as somewhere in the vicinity of two dozen plus different suits you can unlock and collect. And in true Spider-Man fashion, each suit has its own special abilities. So you can probably, they, like they showed off, you know, Spider-Punk and Spider-Man Noir. Like, I guarantee we'll see Dan Slott's stealth suit here. There's you know, an Ed May here. one. Did you hear that in the podcast? Yeah. I don't know if he was supposed to yes. say it or if it slipped, but I he talked care. about the Aunt May one and I went, Oh, and in my brain, I was trying to remember if there were leggings or if her legs were bare. Because if you could see Peter Parker's hairy legs <laughs> under the apron, I would wear that all the fucking time <laughs> throughout the whole game. Yeah, I, I, every time they release a new one, and like they have this thing where they're teasing it out, where they tell you in these videos when they're going to show you the next suit. Um, I, I, I don't care if I have to unlock any of these or have to spend time. This is one of those rare instances where this is something that I don't care if I have to pay money to unlock the fucking system. Well, no, that's the crafting system. They I, were I know, saying like, saying, that's, this is, this is the best fucking crafting system I've ever seen. If that's the case, I, I wouldn't care even if they were to charge me money yeah. is what I'm saying. No, no, like, I get it. I, yeah. hate, I hate DLC. I hate paying for money for content, but I would totally pay for this. Content. Oh, I would pay for the Aunt May costume. That's for damn sure. With hairy legs. And, I'll give you a buck 99 for that shit. <laughs> and I will say Spider-Man Noir is one of my favorite Spider-Man yes. universes. And the fact that the costumes in the game. Yes. Fucking please. You know what? And there's no saying they did not do this, but. If the game was set up in such a way that when you are in using that outfit by virtue of the goggles that you wear, that it changes the filter like on the world to make it look like a film noir. Oh, my God. You want to talk about paying for a costume? I would pay for that. I'm I'm, you're not going to see me when this game comes out. Like, I'm just going to disappear. Okay, so let's talk a little bit bit more about what they were saying too because again if you haven't listened to it i suggest you go check it out of our discussion for this is essentially just us yelling about awesome things with no sense of what we're talking about or any any plan it's just awesome thing hey other awesome thing well it is i actually had a plan until you motherfuckers kind of went a little nuts there it's like but, a bunch uh, of six-year-olds in the playground that i found <laughs> I'm sorry. I, i'm not not even remotely close to sorry it's like, yeah, I was waiting for, you know, some sort of lead to the discussion. I was like, I better just speak up or I'm not going to get a chance to talk. <laughs> okay, so early on in the game, apparently, you take down Fisk. And this is supposed to be huge. And if you've read any of the comics or watched the movies or anything, you understand the importance of that as well. That's a pretty big step kind of thing. So it's setting up the game that 
this isn't a rookie Spider-Man. And we knew that as well. This isn't the Spider-Man that just got his powers. You're not going to be having to go through the bullshit of seeing Ben die yet again and all of that. No, he's been Spider-Man for a while and he's pretty goddamn good at it already. So you're seeing that. And then it's kind of transitioning into the Mr. Negative stuff, which we've talked about it. So we're not going to go too much into it, but as they pointed out in the podcast, and I found it kind of funny that me, me motherfucker, who's not a comic nerd, although I guess I've read a few comics in my day now. (laughs) Knew a little bit more about Mr. Negative than they did. And Spider History was like, hey, I feel a little a little good about myself here. <laughs> I know comics and shit. But the stuff with Mr. Negative that's interesting and that is going to be used, it appears to great effect in the game, is because of the impact that it has on Peter by virtue of, or by way of, I should say, uh, Aunt May. Because... Mr. Negative, when he's not batshit fucking crazy, is actually a amazing man who does a lot for his community. But And he employs, well, I shouldn't say employ, but Aunt May, who does a lot of community work for him as well, and charity work and whatnot. And it means a lot to her as a character. So because of just how much you're going to be doing as Peter in the game as well, which was really good to hear. It kind of made me think of the Telltale Batman going on right now. Well, that just ended, actually, which we'll be talking about in a few episodes. Um, You can play as Peter and do a lot as Peter as well as Spider-Man. And that's great. And like they were saying how they love that insomnia. I put as much attention to Peter and those relationships as they did Spider-Man because that's very integral to the characters. So Mr. Negative is actually a really good choice. When you're looking at Spider-Man, you're looking at a roster of villains that is among the best in for heroes. Like when you look at the roster of Batman's villains, they're the pretty much agreed upon the best, you know? And you can work your way through the line. And, like, Spider-Man's villains are really interesting and really great. And when given to the proper writer, as we've seen and talked about on the podcast as well, on Comic Book Informer podcast, I should say, there were a lot of story arcs that were really quite interesting because of those villains. And Mr. Negative is one of those that, that comes off really cool. And you're also dealing with Norman Osborn. Now, that's someone that pretty much everybody knows because of the Spider-Man movies. But once again, there's a lot that happened in the comics, a lot of shit that even I don't fucking know. I say even, but once again, I really... I'm not the comic nerd that a lot of other people are in this room. Um, But like the stuff with Osborne, when he was going for the elections and stuff, looks like it's going to be taking place potentially in this game as well. So in addition to dealing with Mr. Negative throughout probably the bulk of the game, you are also going to have to deal with Osborne because you deal with him apparently through some questing and stuff early on and he's you realize he's part of your life but he's also at that stage in his his life much like peter where he's not a kid anymore and you know a lot of bad shit happens with oz with norman and so potentially that's going to come about later on as well as cool as all of the stuff that we saw for the web slinging and if you weren't just listening a few minutes ago, it's clear what we think about that. It's fucking amazing. And once again, integral to the character. It like I, I can't even think of another character that it's this integral to the character. The stuff that we found out in regards to the story, even though there wasn't a ton revealed, they're, they're really keeping a lot close to like a lot close to the chest. Uh, like, cause they were talking about the stuff that they, they just were not talking about that. And there's a lot. So even just what we heard was enough for me to be like, not just on board, but possibly on board day one. It's fucking amazing. You can't do a modern Spider-Man story without in some way, shape or form bringing in the green goblin, Norman Osborn, like whether it's he's reformed or whether it's he's, you know, uh, slowly creeping back into the Green Goblin persona or he's actively pursuing something like, I don't know, the Carnage suit, which is the current arc. 
it's if it's going to be this groundbreaking of a game bringing in norman is the way i think to go like mr negative is great karnak is uh yeah uh, not karnak that's um the inhuman um craven the hunter is great but if you and fisk spider-man villain yeah but norman and bringing norman into this game is essential and also by setting up the future of the spider franchise by including miles this game is getting legs that uh you know it's getting a number of arachnid legs so that's pretty great actually you know what marty i'm going to test your knowledge here is fisk oh fuck yeah you're damn right (laughs) and if you get it wrong vince can correct you um Was Fisk first a, a Spider-Man villain or a Daredevil yes. villain? First, so Fisk was first a Spider-Man villain, and he wasn't being used in the night when Frank Miller took over Daredevil in the late oh, 70s, okay. early 80s. And then um, Mark Wade brought Fisk into Spider-Prominence again most recently with his original graphic novel. Uh, but Fisk has become more synonymous with Daredevil thanks to Miller than um, with Spidey. But Spider-Man started as a Fisk villain, and Spider in a, one of the Spider-Man cartoons, uh, Fisk was featured as the prominent villain, more so, I think, earlier than Norman, um, to the point I remember Fisk saying that he was a humble dealer of spices uh, all the time, and that was his you know, import-export crime business. See, I don't know, like... And you're absolutely right. He was created by Stanley and, and Romita, uh, uh, John Romita Sr. Yeah, I think, yes. Yeah, um, yeah. And started as a, a Spider-Man villain. And while he may have transitioned to a Daredevil villain, I think his most defining moments as a villain have always been in Spider-Man. Oh, I, I actually, you know what? As much as I'm not a Daredevil fan per se, I actually would disagree with that myself. The assassination of Aunt May, the entire the entire thing that happened during the Civil War, where, I mean, shit, fucking Back in Black is a perfect a perfect story that encompasses the depths of depravity that Wilson Fisk will go to, and the amount of corruption that he has at his fingertips, and how in like how ingrained he is in Peter, how 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 him and Peter are so tied into each other's lives without like unbeknownst to anybody, right? Like. Daredevil, yeah, I get it, and, I, and don't get me wrong. Like, I, I, I enjoy the comics with him, but Wilson Fisk will always remain a kingpin character to me, just because of of how he interacts with with Spider Man. He views Spider Man more as a threat than I think he even does Daredevil. Really and, do. You're right, and that's actually one of the things that I find far more interesting about him when paired with Daredevil. Ironically. So with me, even though, once again, I, I like the character and I, I like, wow, we're really going off on a tangent here, but I, I, <laughs> I, I like the character and I like how he is, his interactions with Peter. Um, but I see him far, far more better used. Again, it's all subjective, you know what I mean? But for yeah. me, I see it far better. I see his story arcs with Daredevil and his interactions with Matt so, so much better than he and Peter. And and it is because he's not quite as afraid, Based, not really at all, depending on who, who's writing, uh, Matt. And, and, and it really then changes that dynamic between the two characters. And instead of it being a... Uh, a smart talking wise guy versus somebody who is like eh, a little worried, but still going to be a, try to be a badass. you have, and, and have the emotional ties with Aunt May and everything too, you know, the screws in there, but with, with Murdoch, it's way different and way more intellectual. And, and I kind of dig that a little bit more. I could, uh, Frank Miller's, uh, the man without fear. Yeah. Uh, which is the, the, uh, John Romita Jr. Frank Miller, is a phenomenal run that showcases why Daredevil and the Kingpin have this this rivalry that is uh, is as great as Peter and uh, Norman. I would argue. I think Peter is to Norman as uh, Wilson is to Matt. Um, and there's more, but I'll save that for my show on Wednesday, and I won't <laughs> take it from the. <laughs> 
Okay, moving on. Um, yeah, that I think that was pretty much all that I had for Spider-Man. So unless any of you have any parting thoughts, we're going to move on. We're good. Moving on. And you're not going to have a ton of time because we're already running past our time here. Marty, you found this Deadpool RPG. So run with it. So uh, it was announced in February, but I got to see uh, panels of this this weekend over at C2E2. Al Ewing wrote a four-part Deadpool miniseries called You Are Deadpool. Vince also linked this to me in Twitter. Uh, it will come out weekly starting, I think, in two weeks. And it is basically a choose-your-own-adventure starring Deadpool to the point where they have included a papercraft die so you know where you go when you choose your adventures here. Um, it'll come out weekly for one month. You do not have to read them in order. In fact, if you read them in order, you're doing it wrong because the way you make your choices will tell you which book you're supposed to read and when. So uh, this is Al Ewing's Deadpool story where he is aware that he is now not just a comic book character, but also now in a choose your own adventure slash role-playing game or lone wolf and cub, excuse me, lone wolf, uh, Joe Deaver uh, game, which is going to be amazingly fun. Uh, the art looks phenomenal as per usual with the dead, uh, Deadpool crew. Jerry Duggan at C2E2 said he would thought it was hilarious. Jim Zub gave it his thumbs up. Uh, this was this game, I'm not a huge fa uh, fan of the Deadpool, but for this, I will make a total exception, and I'm planning on picking it up and reporting on it for whomever. So, yeah. Dude. I just got to respect the balls. Like, <laughs> it's not just a choose-your-own-adventure book. It's it it's uh, it's like the old fighting fantasy books where it yep. was an actual RPG. Like, you had stats. Like, that papercraft die is there because you've got a roll to attack and stuff like that. So doing this in a book is hard enough doing it in a visual comic format, like ingenious <laughs> to pull it off. I don't remember who the artist is, but the panel create the panel layout is so good that it, it does work and works very well. And Al Ewing has a lot of experience in writing these like these kind of gay, these kind of uh, weird stories, and I think it's perfect. And when he pitched it, CB Sabolsky was like, "Yeah, of course we're going to do it." So, um, uh, I, Salva I just, Espin I and Paco Diaz. Wow, I haven't seen Paco Diaz in a while. Oh, Paco Diaz. Okay. So yeah, it looked it looked great, guys. At C2E2, like I don't, I think it was the True Believer panel. So no phones, but uh, we got to see it and. Uh, Zub started laughing hysterically when he saw it because he's also <laughs> a game developer as well as a game player and comic writer. So it was, it was good. That's awesome. He's working on that uh, Rick and Morty D and D uh, comic. Rick and Morty D and D. I think that's absolutely perfect for for him. Like, I, I'm picking that yeah. up. Yeah. Definitely supporting him with that. Okay, so with that, that wraps up the episode. Thank you very much for joining us. You can find the show notes at ForTheLore.com. You can also find us on Stitcher and iTunes. And you can find us on Twitter at ForTheLore. Individually, Joe is Loader, ZJ, Vince is Samodian, Marty is Officer Gleason, and I am at Zen Buddhist. And with that, we will see you guys next week for our 300th episode. Awesome fucking times. I'll talk to you guys later. Yay! You you cheated and you schemed Heaven knows how you lied to me Thank you for listening to For the Lore. If you'd like to hear more from the guys, check out Popcorn Ronin with Roger and Vince, a movie, TV, and anime podcast, as well as Lore Watch, a Blizzard lore podcast co-starring Joe. And if you're into comic books, check out All Comics Considered with Marty and his crew. Lastly, thanks to Manelli Jamal for the show's theme music. You can find him at ManelliJamal.com as well as on iTunes and help support this incredible musician by picking up his CDs.